to your seats and let's get started here. Glory to God. There is nothing like the fellowship of the brethren. Amen. It is what I look forward to every week. Um, every Monday, this past Monday night, fellas, was it awesome or what? I mean, I don't know about the ladies, but I know what God was doing in that room. And it was life changing, especially for a young man, my nephew, um, who was absolutely blessed by the presence of God and the way God uh, met him last Monday. But Monday night, 630 men's fellowship, women's fellowship, women typically meet in here. We're probably going to end up after we get this room done, having the ladies meet in this room um, because it'll be a little bit more spacious, be a little bit better. Uh, For right now, the men are meeting in the back room. Uh, But it's at 6.30 on Mondays. I look forward to it. On Wednesdays, we've been doing uh, dinners with each other, right? And how many people already have this Wednesday set? You guys do? Okay, so we're going to make this Wednesday the last Wednesday of doing that. For five weeks after that, on Wednesdays, we're going to do a service. We're going to go through the Pathway Walkthrough. Many of you have already been through it, but I feel like we need to go through it again. It's time. And it's basically just a, a five-week uh, teaching of walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh, some basics, help you understand kind of uh, biblically where that fits, um, and it'll just bring some clarity. And I think a lot of us could use a little bit more clarity on what that looks like. Amen? So we're going to do that for five weeks, and then we'll come back to uh, setting the dinners again, which I think have been awesome. And it's been an awesome time to get to know people um, and really just to fellowship in Christ. Um, so I think the Wednesday nights have been great Fridays. We have prayer, but I want to be clear about Friday nights. Friday night is not prayer. Like most churches offer prayer. Most times people offer prayer at their church to pray for people that have problems or things that they need. That is not what Friday's for. We could do that any other time. We could do that on Mondays after the men's and women's. We could do that on Wednesdays. We could do that on Sundays. We could do it throughout the week. If you got my number, you got my wife's number. You know what I mean? Like we can connect to pray throughout the week. We don't have to wait till Friday to pray what happened on Tuesday. Amen. You got a line on Tuesday. You can call somebody. Friday is specifically prayer for the direction of the church. It's specifically for what are you doing, God? What's going on? What are you saying? I can't tell you how many times I have benefited from that night in God using other people and speaking things that you had no clue what the word God was giving me. And it was used as confirmation to what God was already wanting to speak on a Sunday. Do you see what I mean? So Friday nights is intentional. So what I want to say about that is if you come on a Friday, it's because you've been called to the call. (laughs) Amen. You've been drawn into the thing and the work that God is doing. You're coming because you're a part of the kingdom. What that also means is expect warfare. Expect warfare. As a matter of fact, as a Christian, you should expect warfare. Warfare should not come at you surprisingly. You shouldn't be like, oh my God, there's a devil. (laughs) Right? What is this strange fiery dart flying at my face? I mean, you should know that God has called you into warfare. And you won't hear that because you'll hear the sonship, being a daughter, you'll hear all the promises, but until the fullness of Christ comes, you are in conflict. 
Anybody been walking with God for a while can say amen to that? How many times as a believer, let's be honest, that you wanted the conflict to stop, but did it? No, the devil was still roaring like a lion. He was still prowling. He was, you know, people are still there. Flesh is still there. The world is still there. So you're in conflict. Friday, if you make a commitment to pray for the church, to pray for the people, to pray for the direction of what God is doing, if you make a commitment, just expect more warfare. Amen? And then obviously Sundays. I look forward to the fellowship. I, when I don't even like interrupting it because I can hear it. I can hear Christ on Christ on Christ on Christ on Christ, right? Christ on Christ. Christ on Christ on Christ. Christ on Christ? No, you guys haven't heard the song yet. Okay. <laughs> but I, I, I've looked forward to today because, like I said, this, this whole last three days, has ministered to me. But the one thing that has ministered to me the most, the thing that I'm taking away from this past week the most. Hey, by the way, Phil, I got to get one of those things that wrap around where I don't need to mess with this. This is, yeah, I just don't want to be distracted. But the, the most was what happened Sunday, uh, Saturday morning. So Friday was our busiest day. Friday, we, we went to the beach. Where did we go in the morning? We went shopping. We had an amazing breakfast, which if you saw the photo on, on Facebook, it was awesome. It was awesome. And we had lunch that same day at a ramen place that was the best. I've never, huh? They're, they're, what was it called? Shashu? Shushashubo? Something like this? And it was a pork fried rice bowl. And I honestly didn't expect the pork to be so crispy. It was delicious. The sushi was just, And I had, the sushi was delicious. And I had a contraption that she's going to try to figure out, but it was called salmon nachos. Didn't that just sound amazing? It was on wonton chips or what those are. And, and then it had slices of, was it wonton? Yeah. Oh, and then slices of salmon. And it had like this, I guess, unagi sauce or some type of sauce. And then it, it was delicious. I had two of them. I was like, give me another. <laughs> Felt like Thor. Another, right? <laughs> but it was delicious. We had great experiences. We even uh, we spent about an hour trying to figure out how to ride the, the the mopeds, those you know the lift bikes and stuff. We spent an hour figuring it out, and then finally we figured it out. It was dark, and then we literally did like four blocks, and then stopped. It was it was you know we couldn't control it, but it was what it was. But man, I was afraid when I was on the lift because it goes like it feels like twenty five miles an hour or something crazy. I was like, Ugh. you could just picture me on it, and I'm like, I'm gonna hit a rock. This is awesome, and I'm like flooring it. It was great. We had a great time. But throughout all of that, the breakfast, the trolley ride, to the shopping, the, the lunch, the beach, through everything that happened, there were disagreements. And there were moments where it wasn't, you know, knock down, drag out stuff. It was just disagreements. I want to go here. No, I want to go here. I want this food. No, I want that food. I mean, there was just disagreements all over. Anybody experienced that? You get through and you're saying, we had a great time, (laughs) but you were like fighting the whole time. Amen. And we learn how to exist in this dysfunction. And me and Michelle had moments like that where where it was just like, okay, fine. fine. All right, we're going. And all right, great. Had a great time. I wake up Saturday morning and the spirit of the Lord just five o'clock in the morning just comes to me and says very gently, very gently. 
There's no discord in Christ. There's no discord in Christ. He said all of that discord, what was it over? What was it over? What was, what was the discord about? I mean, there was one where um, Sister Ronnie wanted to take this trolley, right, for the experience of the trolley. And I said, we could simply drive. <laughs> it's super fast. Because you take the trolley, and then you got to walk like a mile to the mall. I mean, it's just, you know, you get all those stuff. And I'm like, but we could drive. And then Tommy's like, she wants the experience. I said, okay. Sat down. Michelle decides to get her glasses at the last minute. I've never seen her run so fast in my life. Because she's, it literally says three minutes. I'm like, you're not going to make it back. Your car is way over there. You're not, she takes off. The train starts coming. Trolley starts coming. She, you just, Forrest Gump, you just see her coming. <laughs> and I'm like, run, Forrest! No. <laughs> but she's like, you know, run into the trolley. You know, everything in me wanted to say, I told you. But she made it, so I couldn't. <laughs> and you know these experiences. I'm sharing them with you because... Through all of this, in that moment of just the trolley and Ronnie wanting to go and me not wanting to go and then going and still enjoying the whole thing, the, the disagreements were over things that don't last forever. Like there was not one disagreement in that three days which was over eternity. Not one. There wasn't a single day. No, I think I'm going to have peace forever. No, you're not. Like there's just no... You know what I mean? Like there was no disagreeing about Christ. None. Matter of fact, when Christ was brought in, it brought everything into unity. Like it made everything be what it was. The light of the Lord shined and it was like, yeah, we're foolish. We fought over a trolley. Right? It, it does that. And there was true repentance that morning. We were in the hotel room and Tommy and Ronnie came and I just started fellowshipping them about this, this, this thing that there's no argument in Christ. Now, I'm not going to get into why churches are fighting. But I think if you use your head just a little bit, if you just take a moment and really look at why churches are at odds or divided, it's not because they're in Christ, brothers and sisters. They're, they're fighting over doctrine, things that will fade. Theology will fade. The scriptures are clear. Where there is prophecy, it will cease. Amen? So guess what? You could probably fight over prophecy. But what you're prophesying about, if it is Christ, you cannot argue over Christ. It's impossible to have Christ in you or standing right next to you and you fighting about him. Matter of fact, if you do, it's because you don't think he's real. You don't really believe in the person of Jesus. You don't have reverence that he's right there. When you're mentioning his name, he's present. Amen? And I just felt so strongly about this that walking out of this, we had more of Christ and less of us. I really have no desire to see the world. I don't, I don't have this desire like I must see Greece before I die. No, because I've seen the greatest thing there is to see. And he's with me wherever I go. And so I can be in the back alley of shields. You know what I mean? 
and the Lord is with me. And it's the most beautiful place in all the world is with the Lord. That's not just a statement. And I want you to get this because there's a part of our flesh, there's a part of who we are that wants to push that reality aside. It's a reality, but we want to try to escape it and we want to create our own reality where Christ fits in it and it doesn't work because the only reality is Christ. He is the only reality. Everything else is a deception. Is that strong? Is that strong? Because it should be. You should feel like everything else is a deception. Because by the time I'm done riding that lift bike, I want to ride it again. And I want to ride it again. And I want it doesn't get old. Next day, I want to go to the beach again. Next day, I want more food. Next day, those things keep me wanting something that will never satisfy my soul. Now, I can understand if I was somebody who who had never experienced anything. But I went and experienced it. I'm telling you right now, there's nothing greater than the Lord. I've experienced many things in my life. Christ is... the only constant thing there is. Everything else changes and fades. Amen? So as I was <clears throat> experiencing this, I got, I just felt like a fresh fire in my, in my belly. I felt like I had a word for you. I was like, you know what? I'm, I can't wait to preach. And my prayer is that when I, after I'm done preaching this message, that you would take it into your life, that it wouldn't stay here, but that it would actually bother you, bug you, wrestle with you, that the word would be alive and active as the scriptures say. The word of God is what? Alive and active. Alive and active. The question is, is it alive and active in you? Because it is alive and active. But is it alive and active in you? Do you find yourself having trouble sleeping at times Because the weight of the word of the Lord is stirring in you. Because you should. You you should have such conviction taking place in your life that it is literally on your mind to where people go, hey, what are you thinking about? Oh, the Lord? Not, I know what you're thinking about. Food? You know when I'm hungry, I'll tell you that. But you want it to be the Lord. Meditating on the Lord day and night. Not at two only. Amen. Day and night. And my prayer is that you would not see a man passionate for the Lord, but you would see a God passionate for you. I pray you would see past me and see the passion of Christ for you. Would Christ tell you, go enjoy yourself. I'm t- these words have just been ringing in my mind. Enjoy yourself. No. <laughs> That's a dangerous trap. Would the Lord, Almighty God, our Lord say, enjoy yourself. No, he'd say, let's enjoy ourselves. He would never exclude himself from enjoyment because enjoyment doesn't exist outside of him. It's impossible to separate God 
from his children. Amen. He is a jealous God. He is a jealous dad, right? No, that's my child. And so when you're squirming in his hands, let me down, right? Let me go have fun. No. (laughs) That is not fun. That's deception. It will backdoor you. It will stab you in the back. It will leave you broken. It will leave you wanting more. It doesn't satisfy. Stay here. And I just pray that this word would permeate that again, you wouldn't see a man in any form, passionate, yelling. No, you would hear God in his passion for you. Not to make it about you. Listen to me. Not to make it about you but that you would know he loves you though. As his children, that you would know he is passionate for you and he is fighting off wolves for you and he is fighting off the enemy for you. He's fighting off fear, doubt, and unbelief for you. He is making sure that you don't get comfortable because he loves you that much. He doesn't want to leave you in your comfort. And so we've been talking about this view of God And I just, I kept hearing these words as I was reading Joshua 24. And you can go there, Joshua 24. We're going to read that chapter. But I'm going to go over some scriptures before we get there. And they'll come up on the screen here in a second. But there's this desire in man. And we know this since the fall, right? When Eve had eaten of the fruit. And the deception that came from the serpent was what? God doesn't want you to eat it. Because then you will. No, God does. God, God doesn't want you to eat it because you will surely die. And Satan says, it's not that you would die. He's afraid you would be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him. Well, what does that mean? I mean, when we think about being like God, it should be a, we should be able to sum it up into one simple phrase. We should be able to say what that is, like God. And we know that's hard because God is so complex. He's multifaceted. He moves in so many different ways. But what is the one thing that God has that man does not, that man wants? What's the one thing that man desires to be like God? What does it mean? What separates God from everything else, everyone else? What separates God? Think about it. It's that he creates. It's that he controls. It's that he is God. See this? And we as people want to be able to say, we won't say I'm God. I mean, God forbid we'd say those words. But we say it in another way as I get to choose. I chose to do this. And so we're saying, I don't need God. I can simply choose. Or how about, I did it. I did it. I did it. I finally did it. Huh? Isn't that, isn't that the search for everything? I mean, you try to put a puzzle together. If there's one missing piece, you didn't do it. But if you get the final piece in, what do you do? <sighs> finally did it. Am I right or am I right? You could be working on cars like 
uh, Brother Ray. It, it's just, it doesn't feel right until it's finished. And then when it's finished, what do you say, Ray? I did it. It's finished. It's done. I did it. That's all of our desire. I did it. I finally found the relationship I was looking for. I did it. I finally got the job. I did it. I finally, whatever. I broke the generational curse. I did it. No, you didn't. The reality of it is you did nothing. You really did nothing. And my hope is that we would realize the flesh wants to be able to say, I did it. But God, and we're going to read in Joshua 24, makes it very clear he doesn't. Amen. Is God good? Is he in control? He's in complete control, right? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. Look at what it says. It says, you're boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast? Say little yeast. You need to hear that. It's a little bit of yeast. If you don't know nothing about baking, know this. Yeast is very powerful. It's like a little yeast that spreads through the, the whole batch of dough. Watch this. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Now, immediately we're saying, you mean they removed a... Yes, they took a physical person and cast them out of the fellowship. Because this person was committing a sin that could contaminate the entire fellowship. So they had to say, get out. Well, guess what? In your own walk with God, you got to get rid of the old geese. You got to get rid of the wicked person. Who is that? You got to get rid of it. What does that mean? The way it thinks, the way it processes things, the way it lives, the way it reasons. You got to get rid of the old person, the wicked person from among you. You got to have them separate, dead, gone. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, without flesh, which is what you really are. Look at this. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. That us are, is us. It's those that have come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus. Everyone else has not received the atonement of that sacrifice. They're still under the curse. But for us, we know, so we celebrate. Not with the old bread of wickedness and evil. Look at that. Look at the scripture. Not with the old bread, the old life, the old way of now turning these things into clubs and cliques and some other place of flesh. No, that this would be holy ground. But with the new bread, and look at what it says, of what? Say those words. Are you sincere? You can be sincerely wrong. I'm not even asking you to be sincerely right. But are you sincere? Because if you're sincere, whether you are learning and whether you've gotten there, God has grace for you. There is mercy for you if you're a sincere child. How many of you, if a young child, three years old, came up to you and slapped you in the knee? I mean, just whacked it. Pow! They meant it. Pow! 
Because you sent them back to children's and they wanted to stay in here. Why did you hit me? Because I wanted to stay with you. How many of you would exile them? No, but a person who knows what they're doing, you would treat differently. Amen? Well, how about the world? They don't know what they're doing. What if they slap you? What did Jesus say? You offer it. Not even just turn it. You offer it. Okay, here, take this one too. I mean, you're offering abuse. But why? Because they don't know they're sincerely wrong. You see the mercy in that? And if somebody really knew, as they ought to, would they slap you? See this? So if they do, you can't even hold them to what it is. Even if they're a brother or sister in the faith, all you can do is hand them over. I'm giving them to the Lord. There's this level of understanding about this, that sincerity is mixed with this childlike faith. And when people have been saved, there's a lot of grace for them to be sanctified. It's a a word that people don't hear in church much. Sanctification, purification. Your life should not look the same in the new bread. It's like eating a McDonald's cheeseburger and expecting to get the results of chicken, just pure chicken. You're not going to. That's old bread. (laughs) Literally, it tastes old. But, But when you transfer from the old to the new, There should be an evident difference in the nutrients of your spirit, man. You should no longer be dead. You should be alive. Amen. It's very important you realize that the flesh wants a little bit of credit. And when it wants a little bit of credit, that's a little bit of yeast. And when that little bit of yeast comes into the batch of dough, it ruins everybody. Let me show you how. Let me show how it's done. Come here. Um. Actually, Jeff and Kate, come here real quick. Stand right here. I'm going to show you guys something. They're married, right? Wonderful couple. This is how church, man, I feel the spirit of God right now. You're going to get free. Somebody's going to get free because it's not going to just resemble this example I'm giving, but you're going to get free. This is how godly, a form of godliness, godly people, form of godliness, represent the church. These two right here are unbelievable. They're just the perfect, you guys, I want to tell you how proud I am of you. I know your, your flesh is crawling right now. <laughs> I, I want to tell you how, how proud I am of you. And without you, this wouldn't be possible. You guys are amazing. This is what it looks like to be a kingdom couple. And what they're doing when that demonic thing, this is totally demonic because I gave no glory to God. I gave all the glory to the marriage. How many of us know that marriage is meaningless without Christ? It doesn't work. But I just glorified something in the name of the Lord, and I just put them in a position to say, where's my medal? Did I get a certificate for this too? I remember when I started printing the baptismal certificates, I already knew he wasn't going to want one. He was like, but I knew she'd be okay with it. Because that's the love they have for each other. But do you see that the certificate means nothing? It's just a baptism certificate. It only means something for the value of Christ that was offered on that day. 
But you don't glorify this or the baptism or anything else. You guys sit down. You don't glorify this because what happens now is you just set a standard for two people in the wrong way. You just gave the flesh credit in two ways in the wrong way. To the single person, you just made it a stumbling block. Because what if they're not called to be married? You've been told there's someone for everyone. I can show you in 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul makes it very clear. I wish no one would get married. But they won't preach this. Because that, watch this, is a billboard. That's what everybody wants. Right? They they want that view, that look. And so it brings in bodies, which brings, you. I don't even have to go down the rest of it. You can use your brain. At the end of the day, I've given credit to something that God only gets the glory for. So I cause a single person to stumble because now what they do when they come to church and the bigger the church, they start looking around for their mate. It's a sad reality. You make eye contact. Oh, they look twice, man. That's the one. That's the one. Be real. They look twice. It's true. And, and they create singles classes, knowing to promote it because, because it brings in people. The idea, the view, right? It, it, I could be, uh, man, I'm not even going to go there. It would be shameful for me to even talk how demonic that is. But it's just wrong. The second thing it does is it puts a standard on the couple that's struggling and makes them feel like they're not doing what God has asked them to do. Because why aren't they up there getting the acknowledgement? The, in that same context, the persons, the, the couple that's trying really hard and they're checking every box and they've been doing it for who knows how long, but they never get the recognition. First of all, that person is still in a, in a struggle with God because they shouldn't want that recognition, but they're in a system that's feeding recognition. So it makes it very difficult to get free when you have an enabler as a church. I mean this with all of my heart. The flesh profits nothing. It is no good. This is not how God wants us to do it. He does not want us to bring up successful people and successful relationships to motivate those that don't have the same standard and then put it up as the standard. He's not saying that. He wants Christ to be all that you look for. And this is just too much of a distraction in the name of the Lord. It's in truth. What does that mean? Sincerity and truth. Truth is what sets you free. It's the thing that I just expressed to you now. It's the fact that the veil is being torn completely back and you're no longer living a lukewarm Christianity, right? But you're actually walking in the spirit. Everything to please God, whether you're married or not. Glory to God. You see this? And so we want this because it makes us say, I did it. And for Jeff and Kate to stand in front of all their peers and feel blessed by the affirmation that came makes there be a false sense of security that will never keep you because if Armageddon hit, your marriage does me no good. 
Your marriage didn't help the pandemic. The pursuit of it didn't help the pandemic. It didn't help what's inevitably going to come. So we need a gospel. We need a truth that doesn't give man the ability to say, I did it, but serves a God who says, I did it. Not Tony, him. He did it. But that he would say to us, Randy, I did this. You can do. We need that God because that's the truth. And so we see it. Watch in John 6, 63. Put that up there for me. It says the spirit alone. Say alone because that's in your Bible alone by himself. Not Mr. and Mrs. Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. This is so powerful when you realize these are not just the words of an of a apostle. These are not just the words of a prophet or a pastor. These are the words of the Messiah. The Jesus that you say hallelujah to, that you praise The Jesus you've given your life for says these words. These words are from him to you, to me, him. And he says, human effort. Look at that. Look at that. How many of us in this room can truly stand before the Lord right now effortless? Or are we having some effort going on? And we need to listen to the words of our Lord. What do he say? And the very Words, I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The word of the Lord. The word, he says, I did it. Watch this. Jeremiah chapter 1, 4 through 5, if you were here at the pre-word. Listen to these words. Did he not say the words I said are spirit and life? Right? So what is he saying? Spirit and life. Eternal. That's what spirit and life is. Spirit doesn't diminish. You will either reign with Christ in heaven forever or you will burn in hell forever. Like that's the, those are the two realities. They're both forever. They're both forever. Forever. But the spirit and the sincerity and the truth and all these things that have life in it are eternal. They're forever. Ever, his words, right? So look at what this says. The Lord gave me this message. Has God ever spoken to you? Actually, matter of fact, I was talking with Pam before the service. I don't mean, I'm not putting her on blast. But she said these words. She said, to see somebody give a prophetic word to someone else is kind of like startling, right? Would you guys agree when you first start encounter, it's like, whoa, because why? Two things. One, you're just like amazed. Second, you're like, don't call on me, please. I want nobody to know my business. The Lord already knows your business. Good morning. (laughs) But she said, but then I had to ask myself, which was the Lord? Even that process of thinking was God quickening our sister to say, I've given the word to somebody. Because when the Lord gives the message, when the Lord gives the message, it is power. It is everlasting power everlasting 
power. And look at what he says to Jeremiah. I knew you before. Say before. Before. Just say he knew me before. Get it in you. You got to wash yourself with the, you know, when you get soap on on a scrub, you don't just go over your body one time. And if you got deep dirt stains, you're just like, what? you are so filthy with self, you need to wash before. Because the enemy will come and say, nah, nah. The enemy will get you to, no, before I was ever made. Before, he said, I knew you before I formed you. So your mama didn't form you. So let me talk to the mamas. Your babies don't belong to you. You didn't form them. They don't belong to you. They're mine. (laughs) Wash it off. They don't belong. He formed them. And look it. I formed you in your mother's womb before you were born. I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This was both a word for Jeremiah and all of God's people as a body, as a whole, because Jesus is the head and then there's the body. And collectively as the body, he sets you apart and he appointed you to what? To be a prophet to the nations. We are all prophesying when we preach Jesus. God has said to you, I am your maker. (laughs) I am your dad. I am your creator. I, and the fact that you are in this place and you're not somewhere else listening to something else, but you're here listening to the only truth shows how much God loves you. You might say to yourself, I came to a small church. No, you didn't. This church is the only church. What? Don't you say that. I'm out of here. Christ's church is the only church, and we're all over the world throughout all time. There is not multiple churches. There is no such thing as multiple gods, multiple fathers, multiple Christ, multiple heads. There might be multiple pastors, but not all of them are pastoring the house of God. And you have come into the house of God. Why? Because you're called. If you're not called, go somewhere else. Do it. I'm not challenging you in the flesh. I'm saying with all my heart, I believe this with all my heart, go somewhere else. Because you don't need to play this. Either this is real in your life, and you have truly been knitted together by God, and he truly set you apart, and he truly appointed you, and you truly are called. Or you're not. And I encourage you to not waste your time or my time or their time. Just live. Go earn as much money as you can and live for the world. There's no need to pretend to be a follower of Christ. There's no need. Trust me in this. You did nothing to be here. I did nothing to be here. This is truly an act of God. In Jeremiah, it's very clear. Before. 
before. So in Joshua 24, and I'm almost done. Oh, man, I thank you, Lord. Are you getting anything out of this? I hope so. And just so you know, so Jeremiah was written after Joshua, right? So think about this. In the bush, book, bush, <laughs> bush of Joshua, in the book of Joshua 24, from Joshua to Jeremiah is 779 years. 779 years before jo- or after Joshua, God gives this word to Jeremiah about knowing. You see this? But yet Joshua is walking in this amazing promise. But again, God has to affirm someone else. Because what that tells me is somewhere along the 779 years, God's people forgot who their God was. Just like before Joshua, the people forgot that God brought them out of. You see, they, we just are so forgetful. But can I just add something? That the spirit of God is not forgetful. And knows exactly where each of us are right now. This is not about having individual faiths. It's about having one faith. And that we would all be brought into a one faith. Amen. We should not be talking several different languages in the spirit. We should be talking the only language there is in the spirit. Which is truth. The language of truth. Amen. Oh, I feel the presence of God. I'm literally like bubbling on the inside right now. There is so much excitement in my heart for what's happening and transpiring right now. I cannot tell you how excited I am. And I'm not saying this to get you excited. I'm genuinely excited because I know the word is alive and active. And when, when God says, speak to the bones and tell them to live. That's how I feel right now, that there are just some bones brittle. And now they're coming back to life because the truth is coming forth to you. And you needed a reminder that there is a God in heaven who is now dwelling in people on earth. And it is him doing everything. That we are doing nothing. Watch this. Say, I did it. This is what God's saying. I did it. I did it. Not you. Not me. Him. He did it. I'm repeating it again. He said, I did it. You want to know why? Because I'm going I'm to emphasize it here. But you're going to see how many times God had to tell Joshua this. He didn't just go to Joshua and say, I did it. He drives it home. You, you guys know the story of Job when he takes him out and says, were you there when this happened and that happened? And then Job's like, okay, I get it. No, let me keep going. And for three more like chapters, he's like, and the snail and the back of the snail and the snail of the shell, shell, snail, shell. I mean, he's just like breaking it all the way down to cells. <laughs> he's like, okay, I get it. You're almighty God. Okay, let's go further. I mean, he just doesn't relent. He did it and he's doing it. And let me say this. I'm going to say this. Nothing... We've done, are doing, or ever will do. None of that is doing anything. <laughs> like what church do you go to? <laughs> Nothing you've done, are doing, or ever will do is doing anything. The human effort 
prophets? Just get it. So if something is happening in your life, the only something, something that's happening is Christ. So if Christ is happening in your life and people start to see Christ in your life, glory. I know it's like repeat, but how many of us are truly walking that yet? And how many times does it need to be repeated? Because here it goes, watch. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. So they came and presented themselves to God. Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, say the Lord, the God of Israel says. Watch this. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, but they worshiped other gods. Does that sound familiar? There's a people worshiping another God. It's kind of like the times we're in. God is snatching people from worshiping themselves and bringing them back into the kingdom. But look at what he has to say. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. Many people will want to break that story up and talk about Abraham's faith. But was it Abraham's faith that did it? I'm about to teach you something right now, and I want you to understand it as much as you can. I want you to grab a hold of this right now. God is faith. That's why if Abraham's faith caused him to be right with God, it was because Abraham's faith had a name. And it wasn't just some wishful thinking. It was a living, breathing God that was giving him the ability to believe. It's like saying, I have breath. Do you have breath in your lungs right now? But is it your breath? Help me, somebody. Who breathed the breath of life into Adam? Who did it? He bent down and he breathed breath. So is that your breath? Man, I can't get any more plain Jane than this. I'm giving it, but it is his breath. But it sounds, it's just as foolish to say it's my faith as if it's separate from him. But no, it's his faith in me. Thank you, Lord. I took Abraham. Abraham didn't go on his own. I brought him to Canaan. I gave him many descendants through his son, Isaac. I gave him many descendants through his son. Look at this, verse four. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. You remember what he said about Jacob and Esau? Jacob, I love Esau, I hated, right? But watch this. You would think that if God hated somebody, it had nothing to do with them. But it says, to Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir. Doesn't mean that it was used for the Lord. Doesn't matter. God is driving a point home. You guys see what I'm saying? He's saying, to Esau, I gave the mountains, while Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. So who sent Jacob and his children to Egypt? Who put them into Egypt? Who put them into slavery? Somebody help me. Oh, they put themselves there. How can you read this and say they put themselves there? Their bad decisions put them there. Then I sent Moses. Who sent Moses? Come on, somebody. And Aaron. And I, look at this. Read it in your Bible. I brought what? Terrible plagues. 
Do you know how many people have said on Facebook when I said it's God that brought COVID, they said God would never send a pandemic? My Bible reads completely different. I sent terrible plagues, not just, not just like chicken pox. Terrible plagues on Egypt. And afterward, I brought you out as a free people. You see, he's talking to Joshua because Joshua is a remnant. Man, Joshua's a remnant. He's, he's a part of this process of I that God is saying. Everyone in here has a mark. And it's either me or I. And if it is I, that's a good thing because that's the Lord's. That's the Lord's. I am. Not me am. I am. But if it's me, that's you. And the Lord is saying right now, and I'm not saying that like indefinitely. I'm saying that prophetically to you. I'm saying that the mark of a true believer, a convert, is somebody who recognizes they are not God. I cannot do this. And it is only by God that anything happens in my life. If I live is for Christ. If I die is for gain. Look at this. I brought you out as a free people. But when your ancestors arrived at the Red Sea, the Egyptians chased after you with chariots and charioteers. And even though it said the Egyptians chased after you with, with chariots and charioteers, we know that it's I that made them chariots and charioteers after you. Because if you were here during the obedience to, uh, season of, of teaching, you would have learned that it was God that positioned the Israelites to be in a particular place to arouse Egypt so they would then chase after them. That it was actually God's maneuvering. And you wonder why that neighbor who's next to you gets on your nerves. Because the Lord put them there to get on your nerves. Huh? You wonder why God would allow bad things to happen? Because the Lord put them there to bother you. Because without those things, you don't turn to God. You don't. Filet mignon don't turn you to God. I'm sorry. A fresh pair of kicks every week don't make you go, man, I really need the Lord. It's hardship that makes you turn to God, right? I know you're talking about Luciano. He got kicks on all the time. I'm like, man, give me a pair of those, bro. <laughs> the pain and suffering causes us to turn to God, and he knows this. But watch what he says. When your ancestors cried out to the Lord, who caused them to cry out? The Lord. So, yes, everything that's happening in your life is God. I put darkness between you and the Egyptians. I brought the sea crashing down on the Egyptians, drowning them. And I've heard people say, God doesn't kill. Really? The flood? That was Satan. It was Satan that told Noah to build the ark because a flood was coming. Oh, no, no, no. It was God that told Noah because Satan's just so strong and mighty. That God couldn't stop the flood. We serve a living God. Amen. The only living God. 
He says what goes. He says, I brought the sea crashing down. Look it. With your very own eyes, you saw what I did. Then you lived in the wilderness for many years. Finally, I brought you into the land of the Amorites on the east side of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I destroyed them before you. I gave you victory over them, and you took possession of their land. Then Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, started a war against Israel. He summoned Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you. Watch this. He summoned someone to curse you. Have you ever had, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I have. Have you ever had somebody try to set you up with someone else? Or you heard a story of somebody trying to set you up, set you up with someone else or try to, try to catch you in something, only then for that person to turn and be one of your best friends? I have had that happen. Satan sent you to come and try and beat me up in the gym. Not knowing that it was God that allowed it. And now we're like best friends. Not only that, we're serving in ministry together. We're not just friends. We're brothers. And you're stuck with me. I love Jeff because God has given me a love for him. But this was, this was totally this. I sent... See, the thing is, when we hear words like, he summoned Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you, we hear that and we think that that was really someone else. But it's the Lord that's in control. Because look what he says, but I say, but I would not listen to him. Instead, I made the, the, the one that was summoned, this Balaam guy, bless you. And so I rescued you from Balak. I used it. I used it. When you crossed the Jordan River and came to Jericho, the men of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jerusites and all the otherites, right? But I gave you victory over them. Look it. And I sent terror ahead of you to drive out the two kings of the Amorites. It was not your swords or bows that brought you victory. It was not your effort that brought you victory. Did they have swords? Come on, help me. Did they have swords? Did they have bows? Yes or no? Do you got a sword? Hope not. <laughs> Some of you got guns. Some of you just sold some. <laughs> right, Randy? You got two fists? You got human effort? It wasn't that. I gave you the victory. I gave you the victory, says the Lord. Are you listening to this? And you would say at this point, Pastor Tony, we totally get it. We get it. Nope. We're going to keep reading because this is what the Lord wants us to understand. I gave you land. I gave you a building. I gave you the chairs and the carpet and the sound system and the people. I gave you each other. I did this. I gave you land. You had not 
worked on. Don't you know this place was practically ready? It had caught a fire. Everything burnt in 2016. Only for the insurance to put everything back. And we literally got a brand new building. Look at this. And I gave you towns you did not build. The towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food through you, though you did not plant them. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Serve the Lord alone. Serve the Lord alone. Many, we come from, listen, I just got to, I'm going to close right now, and I want this to be the point that sticks with you right here. All of this of what I said, I get it. You can go back to Joshua 24 and read it. You can, you can take it in. But this is what I desire. I believe this is the Lord's desire for you. I desire for you to take away. You were never a Christian until the Spirit of God filled you up. You need to stop talking about how long you've been in ministry and how long you've been. We got to stop it because it just doesn't matter. You will not see our brothers in the gospel and people saying, yep, and and I've served for this long to try to bring any validation to their walk with God. You know what the validation is? The power of the Holy Spirit. The fact that, and let me show you the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of us might think it's prophesying. That's one way. Or it's uh, calling somebody sin out. That's another way. Or healing, right? That's another way. There's, there's these powers, but there's one power of the Holy Spirit that all of us share that we have to share first before anything else. It's called conviction. It's knowing in your heart that you're not living for God. It's knowing that you got some idols in your life. There's a sense of conviction about the things that you're handling your cars, your clothes, your relationships. All of a sudden, the power of God comes and delivers you from those things. And that doesn't come by a pastor laying hands on you. That comes by the Lord laying his hand on you. That then you would be watching your television at your time. Not because you feel like you got to keep up with somebody. At your time, when you're sitting there and the Spirit of God saying, you should not be watching this. That is the power of God. Isn't it even amazing that we have a God that would do that? If there was no God, you would not be having that. Without conscience, without morality, Without the presence of the Lord, there is no, I should turn this off. There's only more and more and worse and harder and going further. It's only increasing. There is, there is no de- digressing. But because of God and his presence in your life, you digress. Because of God's presence, you say, I can't live like this anymore. Everything else is a bonus. Everything else that God does is awesome too. But that's the common thread of the presence of Jesus Christ on your life is that you cannot live like yourself anymore. 
and it just, it's going to make you sick to your stomach. God does that work. God does that work. Amen? So I pray that you take that home with you. That the presence of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is evident in your life. And that when you see that evidence, when you see it happen, you say, glory to God, I'm uncomfortable. Glory to God, I don't, I don't feel like doing this. It's a horrible feeling. But thank you, Lord, for convicting me. Take this from me. Amen? And that we would be a holy people. A holy people. Amen? Without spot, without blemish, not because of effort, but because of the presence of God. Huh? And I know we have to be reminded. Well, we pray right now. Let's pray. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray this over you. We have to be reminded because we would say, but can he really keep me from falling? Can God really keep you from falling? If you say no, <laughs> then it isn't God you're serving. Think about that. Can he keep, you're saying he's unable to do something if you say no. But in Jude 4, and I pray this over all of us, and I want you guys to spend whatever time you need to fellowship, and then, you know, obviously we can leave. But it says this, now all glory to God. And why is he giving all glory? Who is able, who is able, say he's able. We got to repeat it. He is able, who is able, watch this, to keep you from falling away. And will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Is he able? All glory to him who alone is God and Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. He is fully able to keep you from falling. The fact that you even have conviction is evidence that God is present. And so, Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. May we never grow tired from gathering together. May we never grow tired of learning from you. May we never get tired of your love and kindness. Father, would your mercy shower on us now. And may we walk away refreshed and renewed. If the, for the one that feels like their, their heart has been turned over and toiling and they feel tired, may they get rest this afternoon. And for the one who feels built up and edified, may that be useful this afternoon. God, may you use it all. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.